This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is an LGBTIQ plus Health Australia and Joy Media podcast. LGBTIQ Plus Health Australia acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, their diversity, histories and knowledge, and their continuing connections to land and community. We pay our respects to all First Nations people and their cultures, and to elders of past, present and future generations. This podcast discusses themes that may be distressing to some. Support is available. You can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous support for the LGBTIQ plus community. QLife services are free and include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ plus community members across the country. Call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. Hello and welcome to the latest in LGBTIQ plus health and policy, the podcast that brings you health and well-being hot topic discussions. Each episode, we bring you an interview with a leading voice in LGBTIQ plus health and well-being. I'm your host, Triana Butler. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great to have you here. Now, there's no doubt that romance novels are among the fastest growing genres of fiction around the world. They're in a source of escapism and fun for all kinds of people. Today, Today, I'm joined by Ed Davies, who is an award-winning author of stories of men in love. He writes stories about hope, found families, and ordinary guys finding their modern happily ever afters. He's been in Sydney and Melbourne for the Gay Lit Oz and Rare genre author events in April. And he joins me today to talk about the importance of representation and diverse stories and why fantasy and escapism are unique ways to improve health and well-being for a lot of queer people. Now, this episode does touch on topics that include mental health. So if it does raise any issues for you, you can contact QLife on 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au. Well, let's get him in now. I know, Ed, you write under the name E. Davies, but today we could be a little bit more casual. I'm going to call you Ed. Ed, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Really nice to be here. Welcome to Australia. I know that LHA's CEO met you at Gay Lit Oz, which is Australia's dedicated LGBTQ plus genre author event. I know it was raising funds for LHA. How was the event? Tell us all about it. Um, it was really, it was really brilliant. Um, it is, it's sort of like an Australian convention for, right now it seems to be primarily LGBTQ romance authors and readers. Um, and the planning got started like in 2019 for a 2021 event. Um, and then the pandemic hit and then like a lot of events, it got pushed back and back until about now. So it's been about four years in the making. <laughs> um, it was really nice to finally kind of get here and meet a lot of Australian readers and authors who sort of don't make it out to the big events that happen in the US or the UK or Europe. Um, and it's wonderful that there is a dedicated Australian event now. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And it sounds like, you know, given that there hasn't been 
a project like that before now, you know, to be there at the first one, that that's quite a vote of confidence. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's quite important. Um, possibly also because I come from Canada. I'm now living in the UK, but I'm quite aware of what it's like when all the events are kind of somewhere else. <laughs> uh, it'd be quite alienating. And there's some Australian readers I've had since sort of the very beginning, you know, 10 years ago, who I've been in correspondence with in you know, different platforms over the years. It was really nice to be able to finally meet them and see them in person. Yeah, the fan base really does seem to be thriving, the following of these uh, these gay male-male romance books. How did you get into writing that whole genre? Um, it's kind of a long and twisty story because it's really intertwined with um, my own sort of coming into myself and especially transitioning as well um, because I always kind of knew that I was queer on one level or another, but I didn't really have like the language of the tools to describe that, like even to myself. Um, and I remember I was about seven or eight when the Matthew Shepard trial was going on um, in the US. And for some reason, I was really drawn to and connected to this story. And I didn't really know why, but I would like sneak newspapers out of the recycling bins and read about it and kind of hang around and listen to the adults around me talking about it. And even though it was like, quite a liberal part of Canada, there was still like that attitude of, you know, it's awful that he got murdered, but, you know, he should have known better than to flirt with them as this young, twinky, feminine gay man and these, you know, real masculine straight men and whatnot. And there was still that kind of like attitude in the most accepting places. Um, and that really sort of bled into my ideas about romance and queer romance and what we're allowed to want and do in the world. Um, but I didn't really know if I... <laughs> Back then, I didn't know what gay meant, and like I would search on. I don't think it was even Google at that point, like AOL or something. <laughs> and it would only be like these weird anti-gay religious sites, and that was it. Um, but I was quite a reader, and like the librarians knew me by name, so I would go to books. And then I went and searched, and none of them. Some of them answered some questions, but none of them were about like trans men specifically. Um, I didn't really have that pathway or that language at all until I was twenty, um, and I learned about being. Well, non-binary, but it was called genderqueer more often back then. Um, and I remember so clearly, like, I just got up and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I saw myself for the first time. And I had this moment of like, oh my God, that's me. That's why I've been drawn to this community for so long in all these ways. And I knew I was going to need to transition. I was going to need hormones, going to need surgery. What they were, I didn't really know. I didn't know what, how they worked or what everyday life would look like or what was possible. But so I kind of like wrestled with it not knowing really what that future path looked like. I kind of kept trying to get by as who I was and be like, okay, I could just be like a genderqueer woman or a non-binary woman or like as little as possible transition, but still kind of like acknowledge that part, but that's it. And then not having any visible models of like them gay trans men out there. I didn't know what that could even be. And then eventually I realized I don't know what that looks like, but I have to go down that path anyway and find out. And that was right around the same time as I found uh, MM Erotic Short Stories on Amazon for the first time in 2013. And I realized immediately that this is a way I can understand myself and this whole new world that I don't know how I fit into by writing and reading this. So I like sat down, wrote a short story, published it that day. <laughs> well, it was that quick. Yeah. And uh, started off with like uh, short stories specifically because they were nice and quick, easy, sort of bite sized. And then I kind of started writing more and more romance and feelings and really sort of drawing out the plot and the narrative and wanting to live in that world. So they became novels. And I've written like 46 novels and I'm still on feel like I'm barely beginning, really. I, yeah. <laughs> it's such a, a common part of queer people's story. I'm including myself in that. This this whole concept of not having the language 
to explain mm-hmm. how we feel because there hasn't been that representation there. And now you get to be in a place where you're contributing story and you're contributing language so that people can hear that. For some people, I'm sure, for the first time. Yeah, it really means a lot to me. Um, instantly, I knew I was drawn to do that. And then kind of as I've gone through my transition and so on, I've figured out a lot of things. It's sort of like I'm reaching forward and I'm reaching backward at the same time. And like reaching back to the old me who would have needed this had this been around and then reaching forward to whoever the new me is going to be and being like, it's almost like a leaving little way marker of where I've been. And because now I read some of my early trans stories and they are, almost unrecognizable because I'm just walking such a different path now that I kind of hardly remember what it was like back then. And it's really nice to have this little sort of token of going, oh, yeah, this is what that was like and remembering all these little things that I've kind of forgotten now. (laughs) (laughs) We're chatting with Ed Davies, who is an author. Ed, I know you said in the past that in your writing, you really strive to answer the questions much like those that come up in your life. And in particular, you know, what trans life looks like after the really big moments that tend to be in the spotlight, you know, coming out is supposedly, for a lot of people, the only trans story that could possibly exist in any form of media, because what other story could possibly be told, you know? Um, so, So what are the important questions that you want to explore through your writing? Um, I really want to explore what it looks like to really love being queer and trans and to love being with queer and trans people in every sense, like as a romantic partner and as found family and so on. Um, Because I feel like a lot of the stories sort of focus so much on the sort of wrestling with and trying to avoid being that in a way and like, you know, settling for being that in the end kind of is the best possible outcome. I'm like, no, that's not, that's still, (laughs) that's the very, very beginning of it. That's the best possible outcome. And then you can really grow into a very different place um, when, you know, you're authentically yourself and you're not vying yourself by those arbitrary standards and the inherited gender roles and norms and all that kind of stuff. And you're actually kind of like figuring out who you are and just being that person. And that applies to all of us, like cis and trans and non-binary people alike and queer people and straight people. Like if everybody could have like a little bit more of a taste of that, I think the world would be a better place. 100%. And, you know, something that you touched on there was the fact that the the writing and the way that the characters are feels really authentic because I guess it's coming from, it's some of the time, personal experience there, which, yeah, you know, that that's a really key part of, of what you do. Yeah, it very much is. Um, It feels like as I've grown in my writing and as I've gone on um, from series to series, it's more and more of me has kind of snuck in there. And it's (laughs) really cool to see. It's a bit disconcerting sometimes because like readers will go, oh, you know, there's this pattern where such and such and then they'll name something about me to myself and I'll go, oh, that's, I'm going to go to my therapist with that now. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't really realize how much of you gets in there. Um, but in a really good way as well, because I think I've really suffered for at certain points, like not having that sort of authentic, valuable experience of like somebody else who has been there, who is there. And it's quite lonely and isolating. And I really want like other people to not be lonely and isolated, particularly because there's so few stories about people like me, gay, gay trans men in particular, like a little niche of a niche of a niche. And there's just not much of a platform out there for any of these stories. So I feel like everyone really matters. Which, you know, to that point, we know that trans and gender diverse people tend to have high rates of poor mental health. 
Uh, suicidal ideation is in there as well. So what's been the response from transgender diverse people who have read your book? It's been really, really overwhelmingly nice. It's been wonderful to, I get to meet sometimes and quite often it's be like an email or a Facebook message or something like that. People who have read these stories and it can be something that seems quite small from the outside, um, but it's actually quite transformative for them. Like they've realized that they're allowed to wear a different type of clothing that they never thought they could, or they go like, oh, if you know, other people can kind of go by a nickname, I can go by a nickname too. Or it could be something that seems tiny, but you know, we actually know how huge that is for them. Um, just getting that permission really to explore a little bit more and be like, you know, if this person has imagined this thing, then maybe my own big, bold imagining is actually quite modest and I can do that thing and that's fine, that's okay. Um, yeah, I feel really drawn to showing um, Janet Mock, um, who's an American trans writer, um, wrote in her book about possibility models, um, which are like the lives that we can lead, the possibilities that we can you know, see, the, the language and the framework that we need to understand ourselves and think about who we're going to become. And when you don't have that language, it's really scary. Um, and you're kind of left for yourself bending with all these ideas that are baked into society. Like even in trans accepting spaces, there's still these traps of like presenting cis as the ideal outcome. And, you know, we'd love you if, if you happen to be trans, but you know, you're only going to be trans if you fail at being cis or like that trans people desperately want to be quote unquote, the other gender. And, you know, we wish we could be as authentic and natural a man or as a woman or whatever, as a cis person is. And that's not necessarily the case. Like I, so glad that I'm trans. I would not want to be cis if I had the chance. And I wouldn't have always said that. And I think it's really important to have people out there who are saying that because I like the moments when I've been suicidal and the time when I was at my worst, it was because I didn't see that future clearly. I couldn't find a path towards it. So if I can, you know, try and show a few of these possibilities that would have helped me out, that makes a massive difference. And I do get messages now and then. Um, that really make all the difference. And you know what? I don't think actually what Janet Mock does is actually too dissimilar to your writing. I mean, obviously, you know, she's writing more kind of memoir-focused stuff where you're writing fiction. I've had the honour of, of meeting Janet Mock and my copy, my signed copy of Redefining Realist <gasps> is like just over here, oh. like signed. It's one of the <laughs> first times that someone had written my new name down. So it's like, uh -huh. oh, prized possession. But I think the the through the, like the common thread that is there is you know in her book she's talking about redefining realness um and and being that authentic version of yourself i think you're kind of doing that but through a kind of fictionalized experience whereas she's telling her own story yeah definitely um i've used a bunch of the different stories and characters and gone in different directions with them to kind of explore these possibility models of who i could have been or who i could still be or who other people could be and um i think it's important to have a diversity of them and i try deliberately to write that way as well unless you see preferably more than one possibility model <laughs> even one would have made a massive difference and i really struggled with that early on when i was like how am i going to be a femme trans gay man because the closest I can kind of see uh, often kind of turn out to be trans women who are very early in transition and they're kind of wrestling with it and they're presenting as sort of men who are dressing feminine and they're like, okay, I could also be a man who dresses sort of feminine, but then, you know, if you're following these personalities and they come out as trans and you're like, oh, well, I kind of feel bad like modeling myself after that if that's something that's actually not great for them, but then I don't have anything else. Like, where else do I look? And yeah, even just figuring out how to dress was such a weird thing that 
took me years and years because I was like having to work through, I'm allowed to wear makeup. I'm allowed to be feminine. Like I've got cis gay friends who are more feminine than I am and they're allowed to. That's not interfering with their genders. And outside of the sort of big broader context of homophobia that affects us all, there's not like a specific transphobia saying, ah, you've worn lipstick, therefore you're no longer a man ever again. And why is that applied to us? Actually, I can just just go with that as well. (laughs) Um, We are chatting with Ed Davies, author, uh, award-winning author, we can say award-winning author congratulations on that i know that your books are really known for just how diverse the characters that are in them are for people who are newer to your work could you maybe tell us about some of the characters in your books and and kind of the different spaces that they that they occupy yeah um i've got a couple of different series um on the whole, pretty much all my books tend to be quite sort of low angst and slice of life um, because we've had so many tragic endings for so long. So across all of them, they all guarantee a happy ending, which is part of the romance promise. Like the genre of romance is that they have to have a happy ending, which that alone is uncommon and radical for trans people um, as the genre goes. Um, so I started off with writing the sixth book in my sort of bound family series called The Riley Brothers. And it was three brothers and then three of their best friends. And the six of them stay close friends as each of them goes off and finds love. Um, and the sixth and final book was about, that was my first trans man uh, character, James. And I told a story where basically he'd had to pay privately to get top surgery because at that point it wasn't covered in Canadian healthcare system in that province. Um, and, you know, the after effects of having to go through this and just go and live with that debt and work out how to pay for it later kind of thing because that's something that you just need so badly in order to be yourself um and that set up you know a really nice premise for him going well actually let's start this small business and then i could get together with this other guy as business partners but only business partners um and that it was a way that it felt like intertwined with the transness um his story but also not just about coming out because it was kind of like long after that point um and working out, okay, here's what actually happens, you know, a few years down the line. And, you know, you can find love at any point. You never know when that's going to happen, um, which was quite fun to write. And I realized from that I wanted to write more trans characters. So I wrote, um, I started my F Word series, which has most of my trans and non-binary characters in that series. Um, I had Nick and Flant, uh, Jake in Forever, and Henry and Freedom, which are books one and four and five of that series. Um, and each of them I went quite different paths with um, in terms of sort of the medical transition and the social lives and so on, trying to show some different possibilities for all of them. Um, Nick was kind of learning to be more feminine, um, and he ends up meeting a guy who's quite loud and flamboyant and outgoing and feminine, and he feels like he's too much, whereas my trans guy, Nick, feels like he's not enough, and then they kind of like meet in the middle um, and realize, actually, no, they're just enough for each other, and it's all perfect. (laughs) Um, And he's able to kind of encourage him to wear what he wants to wear and try wearing makeup and so on by going like, obviously you're still a man, like, come on, let's try and make up kind of thing, because that's an experience that I had around that time. Um, And then Jake and Forever um, wants to get pregnant and have a family, which is a story we still don't tell very much at all. And he kind of goes, well, I don't want to necessarily involve a cis partner in this, and I don't know anyone and trust anyone yet enough, but I want to get pregnant, so I'm going to come off tea and sort my life out, and then I'll go and figure out how that works. And then he accidentally gets pregnant when he hooks up with an old lover. (laughs) And then they have to work out how that's going to work. And I really wanted to tell that story of him getting to have the family that he wants, um, and wrestling with that alongside finding love and trusting someone else to letting him in at the same time. And then Henry and Freedom was my most recent one. And he um, has had sort of all the stages of bottom surgery and um, kind of wants to come out 
enough to date, but is sort of stealth at work, working as a wilderness guide, um, not disclosing his past. And he's finding that kind of grates on him a lot more. Um, and that also parallels where I was as an author at that point, um, going like, I want to be more open about myself and who I am and where I've been, because it's quite alienating when you can't talk about your past at all in order to be accepted for who you are in your present. Um, and he goes on this journey of realizing that you know, he's allowed to be who he is. And if people don't accept that, then he can go off and make his own path, which he does. <laughs> um, it's been really important to tell all these different stories um, with very different ending points, but also kind of the same ending point. They all end up happy. They all end up sort of happy ever after with the guy that they deserve to be with, who sees them and accepts them for who they really are. And speaking of happy ever after, I mean, we're going to talk about this book, Freedom, because it it is an award winner, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Um, so it won the 2020 to 2021 Rainbow Awards, um, winner of the Best Transgender Contemporary Romance, um, and it also was a finalist in the Best Transgender Book overall of the different transgender subcategories, um, which really meant a lot to me because that was, as it turned out, the final book in the series. I wasn't sure until quite recently, um, but it felt like I kind of reached the end of the narrative arc of all of these different guys and going in all their different directions. Um, and he was sort of like tying back into the beginning and learning to be more open about who he was and where he came from. Um, and it was really important to me to write about a trans guy who is post-bottom surgery because we don't see many books about that at all. When we see books about trans men, they tend to be at this really specific point where they're post-T like and they're on hormones and they might be just pre or just post-top surgery, usually top surgery sort of like the conflict or it's right around that time. And then that's about it. And there's no like thought about the future, whether they want bottom surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Like there isn't really a pathway at all. And that was the most difficult of all of the sort of transition decisions I've made because there's been the little, as little information as you can imagine out there about it. And what is out there tend to be quite biased, quite skewed and um, put out there by transphobes specifically to scare us away and so on. So I didn't really know what everyday life could look like after these surgeries. And now that I've been through most of them myself, I really wanted to turn around and say, okay, here, this is what it's like um, and show what that life is like. Well, with that out the way and, you know, it looks like you've got a whole lot of space to explore new ideas. What do you got ahead next? What are you going to do? You've ended that series. <laughs> yes, um, I've got two new series. Uh, the first one is going to be Sunrise Island Brothers, um, which is kind of another low ank series about a found family um, on an island. Um so far, the first several characters that I planned are just, um, it might be an entirely just series, I don't know. Um, but I have found I really do enjoy writing sort of a just queer MM story as well, um, even though trans men are more of a sort of spiritual calling, I think. Um, I think there's still a lot of value in telling the stories that I told before I kind of found my way to the F word and all these sorts of stories. Um, the other series I'm planning is um, kind of inspired by the relationship that I found not long ago myself, um, which is a T for T relationship um, with another non-binary trans man, which is absolutely, it's transformed my life. Um, it felt like the most radical, world-changing love to get to find, which makes me really happy. <laughs> um, and that's inspired me to write a series that's going to be called Tea for Tea. Um, I want to write sort of shorter erotic romance novellas rather than just specifically romance, um, which means I can involve more sort of kink, um, more sexuality, because we don't really talk about sexuality amongst trans men very much either, and how we can be sexy and desirable and hot. And we don't really have those stories, and I want to tell more of those stories. Hell yes. Well, all the very best for it. Thanks so much for joining us today on the latest. Really appreciated getting the chance to chat with you, Ed. Thank you very much for having me. 
Well, many thanks to Ed for his time today. LHA would also like to thank the organizers of GLO for their support at the 2023 event. Now, if this podcast has raised any issues for you, you can contact QLife, which provides Australia-wide anonymous LGBTI peer support and referral for people wanting to talk about a range of issues, including sexuality, identity, gender, bodies, feelings, or relationships. QLife services are free and they include both telephone and web chat support delivered by trained LGBTIQ plus community members across the country. You can call 1-800-184-527 or visit qlife.org.au to access the web chat. And if you'd like to suggest a person that you'd like to hear being interviewed for this podcast, get in touch with us. Email info at lgbtiqhealth.org.au and include the word podcast in the subject line. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.